What is going on? It is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to chat with Madeline Bailey over Zoom video. Madeline was born and raised in Wisconsin and talks about how she got into music. Madeline comes from a musical family. Her dad is a guitar player. He played in the worship band at church. And she picked up guitar at a very early age as well. Madeline said she learned how to play the guitar in like four days. Her dad had all these tab and guitar books laying around and she just went on YouTube, looked at the books. Then four days she was playing guitar and singing at the same time. Madeline talks about how she was able to grow her YouTube channel. She started off putting covers up on YouTube and then would sprinkle in some original music. After a couple viral videos, she was being scouted by different managers and record labels, and they were flying her back and forth to L.A. Uh, from Wisconsin when she was still in high school. She talks about that. She talks about having the opportunity to finally move to L.A. Her music was making her enough money so she could move to Los Angeles and stay there full time. Uh, we hear about the success of her song, Tetris. She tells us about the experience she had on America's Got Talent the viral song she's written about the mean comments people have left for her online. And she talks all about the brand new album, her debut album, which is called Hollywood Dead. You can watch our interview with Madeline on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It'd be amazing if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it would be incredible if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Madeline Bailey. So awesome. Well, again, this is about you and your your journey in music. So first off, uh, talk to me about where you were born and raised. I think I, I did read... Um, that you're from like Wisconsin, I, I believe. Yeah. Born and raised in Wisconsin, more cows than humans. Just <laughs> like, like literally there was my house. Our neighbors were dairy farmers. My grandparents had horses, the dairy farm next to us, actually their milk went directly to the factory that my dad worked at. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So very, very small town, very fresh milk. Very fresh. <laughs> I even cool. milked those cows a few times. So did you really? Did you, did you <laughs> yeah. grow up like working on the farm? A little bit, a little bit. I decided cows weren't for me. I went into nursing instead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very cool. Um, so what about music? Were you do you come from a creative household at all? Or I grew up listening to my dad play guitar and he he was also very into like rock music, but also specifically like like Christian rock music. Oh, cool. Sure. Um, so I was kind of, I was kind of raised on like, like uh, contemporary Christian music, which is also very easy to learn. Like the chord structures are very easy. The melodies are very easy and simple. So it was kind of a good place to start. And then from there, when I was able to like start choosing the music I wanted to listen to, it ended up being like singer songwriters were telling stories. And then of course, after that came um, like, like Britney Spears, like my, <laughs> my first exposure to like pop music. And I was like, what is this? Like you can <laughs> tell a story like you can with, with singer songwriter music, but you can tell it in like a really interesting, fun, exciting way. Um, and then just kind of fell in love with pop music from there. Okay. And did you pick up guitar at an early age? Cause your dad could play. I did. Yeah. But it was, um, it was very like, I lived, I picked up the guitar and within four days I could play it. I can't explain why I just kind of, knew <laughs> how. I had no lessons, no training. Um, I just I, like, my dad was in a worship band, like a, a mm -hmm. worship, he was played guitar in a worship band for a church. And so he had all of these like chord sheets for the for the music. And so that's just how I learned was like, I would look at the chord sheets. I would look up the chords on the internet and then I would like learn them. But like within four days I was able to like play and sing at the same time. And there's, oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. uh, I think this, uh, I think music might just be like a thing. I just, my brain understands how to do. <laughs> yeah. You're like a prodigy, especially <laughs> like guitar. I mean, how old were you when you started playing? Um, I was, I believe Gosh, I've been playing for as long as my my youngest brother is. He, he's 18. So I've been playing guitar for 18 years. I don't know how long ago. Oh, was. wow. But still, I mean, if you're starting really young to play guitar and have be able Very to young. move your hands and push the chords down 
you gotta yeah. build the calluses, like 11, all that probably stuff. 11, like 11 or 12, somewhere in there. Yeah. But still, I mean, that's really impressive. Well, I mean, with piano also, but piano is a little bit easier on the hands and you don't have to hold the big neck of the guitar and all that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. So when you started playing four days, you could learn was your dad like, whoa, okay. We've yeah. Got something yeah. Here. So that was when my dad sat me down <laughs> and he was like, I was also a very emotional child. <laughs> so he sat me down and he was like, this is great. You're going to be a songwriter. I'm going to teach you how to write songs. So it's going to be a really great outlet for you and your emotions. And he like talked to me about, you know, technically song structure, but like more importantly, like what kind of content to put in it, you know, emotions, heart, feeling like, what do you want people to know? What story are you telling? Um, so he like, yeah, he basically taught me how to write a song. It was like, go. <laughs> wow. So, so right away you were writing after you yeah. kind of got the little short lesson from dad. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of, I was kind of writing little like poems and little songs, even as young as like seven or eight years old, just like singing little tunes. And then once I picked up the guitar, then I could actually write like full real songs with melody and structure. Yeah. Wow. Were you in the the worship band at all or did you play in church? No, but the first place I sang was in church. It was it was okay. my church did um, like theater as well. And so like the first time I sang in front of people was for one of their theater productions. <laughs> wow. And yeah. with with like, you know, singing and playing guitar and all that, were you known kind of as the the, the guitar or the songwriter at your school or anything like I that? Know, like, kind okay. of. Yeah. When I was in middle school, I played for my, my talent, my talent show and. And I was like so nervous, but the school was like, everybody was so supportive and, and it was definitely my like boost to be like, I should start a YouTube channel. <laughs> okay. So is that <laughs> when you started like on YouTube after, yeah. after that? Okay. And then was it just, do were you doing covers in the beginning? Yeah, I started with covers. I also would mix in like original songs that I would write and it was all just like live recorded, like not a great camera. Just there's even videos where you can like see me like, um, like the most high tech I got was like, I got a remote so I could like press record, <laughs> but I'd have to press record and then run behind the camera. <laughs> um, That's cool though. I yeah. mean, to start on YouTube that young and then to gain so much traction. I mean, I think while I was reading, you had like at, early on had like a hundred million views and all, like, just were you seeing like a lot of people coming to your channel, like fairly quickly, or was that just, you just continually put up content and, the, the channel just started to build yeah. kind of kind of a mixture of both. Like I, I feel like when I first started posting videos, it was such a, it was a really positive response. And it was also like, you know, when a, one of my videos would get more than a hundred views, I'm like, well, that's more people than I know. So other people right. besides, like my mom, my grandma and people at my school, like other people are watching my music that I don't know anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah, that probably felt pretty. I mean, that had to be pretty validating a hundred views still. You're just like, wow, I'm just doing this thing at home. Yeah. A hundred yeah. people are watching this video. Yeah. But I think within the first six months of posting videos, um, I was, I had a, a few kind of go a little bit, a little bit viral. Um, and then I started getting phone calls from people like the Ellen show and like Jonas group management at the time were like managing Jonas brothers. Jonas brothers and yeah. I ended up getting flown out to LA to like do my first like songwriting sessions and, and meet with managers and, um, but like within six months of posting videos, people were like noticing, which was wow. I, I was still in we, high school at this time. I was going to ask. So you were you were still in high school. Yeah. You're you're doing these videos and like getting the was the what was the what was the first one that like really kind of went viral and you're like whoa like this is it's not a hundred people anymore it's yeah this many but, people that are yeah. you know well, my first video to hit a million views was like <laughs> this cover I did of. Um, not afraid by Eminem. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! <laughs> kind of it's like one of those like you either love it or hate it because I'm like this little blonde girl, <laughs> like like rap singing an Eminem song, and it's like kind of cool but also really weird, <laughs> like a really weird choice. <laughs> well, that's probably what people gravitated towards. Whoa, like this an Eminem song like acoustic by this uh, little blonde girl. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that one took off and then you're getting these calls. That was that kind of overwhelming. Like what is happening? I mean, they're flying me out to Los Angeles. I'm still in high school. I mean, not really. It was kind of, it was kind of my plan. Okay. <laughs> I like, I'm going to post videos on the internet. I'm going to get, I'm going to get famous. I'm going to get popular. My music, this is how I'm going to blow up. This is how I'm going to get discovered. I'm going to get flown out to LA. I'm going to get a record deal. So like I had this vision. So when it started happening, I was like, Oh my gosh, look at it. It's happening. <laughs> 
Uh, like but manifested of course, it. After, after that point is I think where the like, oh, this is going to happen a specific way. Like once you get to L.A., all all bets are off. Sure. So would yeah. you finish high school and then move to Los Angeles? Was that like the next so I, move? For you? Yeah. So I graduated early and then like six months early from from high school. And then I was just flying out to L.A. every like couple of months. And then what we would do is I was working with this like this independent label who um, they just like specialized in making like bulk cover content for people. That's just what they did. And so I would fly out. I would record 10 songs in three days and we'd film 10 videos, record 10 songs. And then I would leave and go home and I'd have content for maybe two or three months. And then I'd come back out and do the same thing. And it was Um, all just cover songs at that point. Yeah. With them, it was just cover songs. And then I was, I was still sneaking original songs in there when I could. Yeah. Yeah. So what, uh, when did um, people or like, was it, were you always probably trying to say like, yeah, this I can do the cover thing. Like, this is great. But like, here's my music. Here's my original music. Like when yeah. did people start to kind of take an interest or start to push that and, you know, kind of leave you to doing the covers as as is. Um, I mean, I think I, I always love doing both of them, but I, I think my my mindset was like, I'm going to do the covers because it'll bring in an audience. It's a familiar song. And mm-hmm. then the people, once they're there, then here, I'll show you some of my, some of my original music. That's, that was always the the strategy. Uh, okay. That's a smart, yeah, smart move. Okay. Yeah. Here's, here's some songs that you know, and then here's mine. It's yeah, like if it's- the people that play at like a bar for three hours, they'll do, you know, a bunch of covers and then sneak in their own song. Every yeah, yeah, time. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So you're going back and forth from L.A. back to Wisconsin. And mm-hmm. is that when you were going to nursing school? Because you said you were a nurse. Yeah. So I, I got um, I did my training for it was a CNA, so certified nurse assistant. So working in like a nursing home. So I actually uh-huh. did that while I was in high school. So then I started. Oh, wow. Working. Yeah. So then I was able to work as a CNA after high school. OK, so you're doing that and kind of traveling back and forth to Los Angeles. Yes, yes. Okay. And what did you eventually end up moving to LA or? I did eventually end up moving to LA. It was kind of like one, I was, I just ended up spending more time in LA than I spent in Wisconsin. Like I'd be in LA for like three weeks. I'd go home to Wisconsin for a week and then I'd fly back out. And I was like, this makes no sense. I'm spending more than half my time in a hotel. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I I need my own place. (laughs) Um, So then I ended up moving in with a, with um, a couple of girls who also made like, cover content on YouTube as well. So it was kind of a fun, like a fun living experience to like be yeah. out in LA and then rooming with people who are doing something similar to what I'm doing. And it was kind of, it was pretty fun. That is cool. And especially like um, YouTube is, it's wild how it really has stayed and, in, in, you know, made careers for people and everything else. And it's still like massive, obviously. Uh, but you were kind of, it sounds like you're kind of one of the earlier adapters to, to YouTube. If you're doing it back when you're still in high school. Yeah, I, I, I think I think like I consider myself like maybe like wave two or wave three, because there's like the OG wave that would be like Voice Avenue and Keena Granis and like and then there would be and then then maybe me or maybe a few other people and then me like maybe then Kurt and like, yeah. Okay. They, they were definitely the people I was like, I looked up to and I was like, I'm going to I'm going to work with you someday. <laughs> sure. So when you get out to Los Angeles, are you still just mainly doing the, the cover thing as far as like when you're working with management and companies or were you working on original music or starting to put out your, your own stuff? Yeah, starting to put out my own stuff when I when I got to L.A. basically. So I was doing the covers and then the covers actually started making money, which they didn't at first. Like I, I'd say within a year of working with this company out in LA, it, they, they were, they were finally making something worthy of quitting my job at, uh, with nursing, which would be, I think like three or four years into my YouTube channel starting. Okay. Um, so quite a long time before the channel actually is making enough money that I'm like, okay, I don't need to work to, you know, work this job. Yeah, yeah sure. Was that a big day for you to go in and be like, you know what I'm, this music thing is like, I'm yeah, able to support myself. Actually, yeah, it was pretty I great. Bet. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was pretty nuts. I was like, this is wild. Um, cause I, cause I didn't do any of it with the intention of like, cause at the, when I started, there was actually no way to monetize videos. There was no way to make money off of YouTube. Uh-huh. There was maybe a way, like if you, if, if people would download your songs from iTunes, like that's, 
where I was started. Like Spotify wasn't a thing. Right. Um, so there really weren't a lot of ways to monetize what you were doing on, on YouTube. It was more for just exposure and building an audience. So in my mind, that's like, that's all I was doing. I wasn't actually thinking, oh, this is going to be a career move. Right? right. It was just people, just people, if people know who I am, then hopefully they'll go and they'll go buy my me. music or listen yeah. to or come to a show. Exactly. So yeah, your original songs. Yeah. So when it became a full-time job, I was like, well, this is, um, this is wild. And then, um, and then I was like, well, you know, I'm out in LA, it's really expensive here, but I am finally starting to make money. What do I need to do? I, so I was like, well, if I were to be signed to a label, they would start putting me in with anybody and everybody who would write with me just to start getting experience in writing, starting to build connections, finding people you like working with. And so I kind of put myself through my own artist development of like, reaching out to people, getting in as many sessions as I could. I think there was a year where I, oh my gosh, I think I had over a hundred writing sessions and I also made over 50 videos in one year. So oh my gosh. Think I'm either writing a song or I'm in a, either in a writing session or I'm in the studio recording for one of these videos, or I'm at, at a studio filming one of them, like maybe 200 plus days out of the year i was i was either making a video or writing a song making a video or writing a song it was a it was a crazy year definitely um not sustainable but i learned so much i really learned a lot about writing songs i learned a lot about content creation at this point we had started um filming our filming our own videos and editing them our, ourselves I, somewhere in here, I got married. I don't know where. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, so, 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 so somewhere in there, I, I found a, a nice boy in Wisconsin and he was, um, I, somehow I convinced him to move to LA with me and, and <laughs> film my videos. And <laughs> um, yeah, but so at this point we were, we were making a lot of the content ourselves. So I had left this label that I had been working with and I was do, uh, doing it all myself. Okay. And then do you, uh, when you put out your own songs, like, was there one of your songs or, or something that happened that kind of took you more in that direction of like, oh, wow, like now I just got validation from my original songs or this label wants it or this song did this many streams. Yeah. So I put up my first EP. Gosh, it has to be maybe six, six years ago now. Okay. That, five or six years ago. It's called Wiser. And it was my first like, collection for, uh, I think there were four original songs on the album. And I mean, people responded really, like really strongly to the music, but um, I don't know. I just, I, I, I mean, even to this day, I still do the covers. I just think they're fun. Yeah, for <laughs> yeah. sure. I know I've heard some of the, maybe the newer ones. I think you did like a Taylor Swift one fairly recently, or yeah. maybe that's even older. Um, but yeah, I was listening to some of the, the covers that you're doing. It was really cool. Um, yeah, so you did Wiser, and then from there, were you playing out a lot around LA or doing any sort of touring or anything like that? I not no touring yet. Um, at that point, I think like I was doing shows like VidCon. I was doing like the okay, the, like internet kind of festival things, fan fests, and VidCons, and I guess that was me traveling around and playing shows. But I don't, I didn't play my first like headlining show for many years after that until I released my song called Tetris. That was when okay. I, yeah, I played my first headlining show after, after that, but I did open for voice Avenue on their tour. Oh, okay. I guess that would be my tour experience. <laughs> they were like, they're a cover band, right? Aren't they a cover? Big yeah. Band so they kind of no? did like what I did on YouTube, whereas you just posting a lot of covers, posting original songs and, and, Basically, I feel like they were like the first people to ever do it or at least do it very successfully. And they're still very successful at it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And with Tetris, was that that song just took off for you? Right. I mean, you're getting like television opportunities and all these things from that song. Yeah, I think that that song was the first time that I had like hired a team of people and been and like got people on board before I released the song. Because a lot of what I do, even with the covers, is very like reactive. It's like, oh, I need to get it out right now. And there's not mm -hmm. like a huge plan of like marketing or like how I'm going to get it out. It's just kind of like, oh, I'm going to make this content and put it out as fast as possible and then just sure. keep moving and working. And that is a strategy in its in its own right that works yeah platforms, even like tiktok like now just posting lots of content mm -hmm. is really a good strategy 
Um, but yeah, Tetris was the first time I was like, let's hire like a marketing team. Let's hire a PR team. Let's like, let's like pretend I'm a label. What do I need to like, what do I need to hire? What do I need to do? Um, and so, yeah, we kind of hired a team of people to help me with that one, which was, which was really cool. Yeah. And then once it was that when you ended up, did you get signed to a label at that point? I know you were like, no, I've like, never been signed to a label. Actually. I've, I've been independent this whole time. So I've only ever signed like licensing deals for, okay. That's what it was. Cause it was with Warner, right? You had like a thing with Warner and I think yeah, in, yeah, in, in France. Yeah. Yeah, so, so I only would really sign for like a, a specific collection of songs for a short period of time. And they, but I still owned all the masters. So oh, that's was, amazing. Yeah. Not a lot of people <laughs> are that um, business yeah. savvy as you. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then Tetris does really well. And are you, uh, what, what year was that? 2019, 2018? Yeah, something like that. 2018, yeah. I think. Yeah. And off the kind of the heels of that success, were you just, okay, now I need to really focus on putting out more original music because this, or th- what I did here worked, obviously, like I hired this team and we, put it together and the song did really well. Was that kind of the formula for the next stuff that you of. put out? <laughs> kind of. I mean, I did fire my whole team after that song and <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, my bad. Kind of. Um, sort of. Kind of, but I just got all new people. <laughs> kind of yeah, it was it was a really it was a fun experience, but a lot of lot of you know, just a lot of things were handled weird. Got it. As are with independent, because it's you're you're just trying to you're just trying to figure it out. Like there's no, I mean there's there's no standard contract anywhere in this industry. You're just trying to like make the best deals you can as you're going. Right. That the people are good people. You're doing deals. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But so after that, then I hired a new team of people, and um, I released Red Ribbon, Mm -hmm. which that song was huge as well, and still is like still happens to be one of those songs that people like love and resonate with. Like one of my top uh, like streaming original songs on Spotify is like still, still big, yeah, which is like- cool, which makes sense <laughs> because it's it's a topic of like, if it, if you didn't relate to it, when you listen to it the first time, at some point you're going to go through what the song is talking about, which is, it was a song that I wrote after my grandma passed away from cancer. Mm-hmm. And it was the first song I wrote after having grieved because my grandma was a huge supporter of my music, like literally number one fan. I would like joke that if she wasn't my grandma, I would have had to get a restraining order because she was quite obsessed. <laughs> she, would, like, <laughs> she, would, like, she would like hand out CDs like at the mall. And I'm like, grandma, you can't do that. It's illegal. And she's like, I can do whatever I want. I'm an old lady. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so she was a huge supporter of my music. And so like when she passed away, I like couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to like sing songs and write music because it just felt wrong without her and so red ribbon was the first song i wrote after she passed away and i was like oh i think this is a really powerful song that i should i should this this experience of like having to go through this grieving process and what it feels like to put like pull yourself back together after Mm -hmm. your world's essentially been destroyed by the idea like this person's gone forever um as I put this song out there and then I also made a video where I asked 10 of the, just the coolest women in my life who have been through some pretty crazy things. And I put their stories in the video as well. And it's just been this really cool piece of content that, like I said, maybe you you watch it once and you're like, Oh, I don't really relate to any of this now, but at some point in your life, you're going to have gone through something that one of them has have gone through something that I've gone through. And then this video, like this song, just, it has many lives. Like it, like it, it takes on many lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's a that's a, such a cool um, you know concept behind the video as well, like reaching out to people. And was that hard to do? Or like, or did, it was people you already knew? Okay, I know I'm going to grab these some people, or did you kind of have to seek out stories and stuff? Yeah, um, most of them were 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 friends or friends of of friends. Um, like my sister was in it. My keyboard player was in it. Um, a few of my friends who are content creators were in it. So it was just it was a really it was a really beautiful video and it came together. So like naturally and people were so like, just I, those women were so brave to like share their stories. And like, I've been sharing my stories for years. So it's natural for me to want to like share an experience that I've gone through that meant, that meant something to me. But a lot of these women have like never been on camera before. Right. Yeah. You have <laughs> this is their first time being interviewed. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, like, you guys okay. are so brave. <laughs> yeah. Tell me this uh, tragic thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but wow. So you, yeah, you put out a few, I mean, a handful of singles after that song as well. And then what about when the pandemic happens? Like, what are you up to at that point? And then how do you, I mean, obviously you, 
already have the online thing going on where a lot of people that were like, oh, now what do I do? I have to like do these yeah. live stream shows or whatever. You're kind of ahead of the curve on that. Uh, but did that affect any of you, you know, writing music? Did you stay in L.A.? Yeah, I, I stayed in L.A. Luckily, <laughs> um, we almost moved. But as did, I swear, everybody, everyone in L.A. had the thought. They're like, we got to get out of here. It's crazy. Um, I'm from San Diego and I moved in the middle of the pandemic to Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but we almost we almost did the Nashville thing too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, we could have been neighbors. Yeah, so we close. moved out. We, so we had a house. We were gonna put an offer, and then I was like, why don't we just wait? Uh -oh. Just wait until like LA goes back to normal-ish, and then and then let's make like a decision. Oh <laughs> um, no, but pandemic hits, and actually I was like one week away from leaving for my first headlining tour in China. Oh <laughs> my had, gosh. We had like 15 sold out shows. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, wow. I mean, the just think of the timing, like even one week difference of like when the country got shut down, I would have been in China or not in China. I <laughs> yeah. would rather have been not in China than like. Yeah. Playing a show in shows. Wuhan or something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I that's mean, wild. Maybe I would have learned Chinese because we would have been stuck there for a very long time. <laughs> yeah, <you'd> probably <laughs> still be there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we had to, we had to, we had to cancel the tour, which was, which was sad. But then I, I was like, well, what am I going to do with this time? Because I don't know if it's going to be a few months, a year, more. Like people were talking, oh, it's only going to be a couple of months. It was two weeks. Remember, flatten the curve. Yeah, <laughs> that was a short list. <laughs> yeah, in my mind, I was like, oh, it's going to be at least three months, maybe six. So I was like, yeah. well, what am I going to do? So then I started um, I started teaching myself like production. So I started learning how to cut my own vocals. Which oh, wow. is a, I'm so happy I learned how to do it. I think every vocalist, every artist should learn how to cut their own vocals. It's not extremely hard to learn how to do. It just takes a little bit of time and like just repeatedly doing it like practicing it, but it's so helpful, saves so much time. Now I don't even have to go into a studio to do any of my covers or any of my songs. I can just cut all my vocals, background vocals and send them off. And, and wow. So you're doing that still. I mean, for the, the album and everything, it's just, it's yeah, a lot of the your... times on the album, I cut my own vocals for all my covers. I cut my own vocals for. So that is awesome. Yeah. So That's so I'm really glad I did it. I was like, this is the time if I'm going to spend like, <laughs> I want to get anything out of this pandemic. It's going to be like, you're going to know how to produce your own vocals when you're done with this. <laughs> That's cool. And, yeah. um, and also was, it was it during the pandemic that you started doing the songs with like YouTube comments or like, I yeah, weren't you using yeah. comments to like write songs. Yeah. I released my, um, well, it was my second hate comment song. My first one did really well too, but my second one was the one that went super viral. And I released that one just like a couple, like maybe two months before the, the pandemic hit. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, they it put together like an album, right? Of songs that were similar to that or. Yeah. Over, <laughs> over the next, like, yeah. So I posted that one. And then over the next like two or three years, I wrote several different hate comment songs. And then also like other random ones were like, just like creepy DMs, just <laughs> <laughs> that was depressing <laughs> um yeah so just like i think there's a collection of like maybe 10 like internet comment songs now yeah you got a little collection of them on uh on spotify here that's cool just like you did one was like oh wow people are resonating with this like let let me just go through and try to continue this but i imagine that being pretty depressing you're like i gotta read all these negative comments about myself and then yeah, it's really interesting because like the first comment song I released was actually um, that I wrote using comments from my channel and they're just generally positive ones, but also just like really weird, funny ones. Yeah, so this one was just kind of a funny, goofy song. People loved it. And I was like, OK, well, but what if I did hate comments? Because that's really funny. It's a really funny idea. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've seen a few people like kind of like either reading hate comments or like singing co hate comments, but never in like the structure of a pop song. I'd never heard someone like turn it into like a real legit song. They're like, Oh, I could hear this playing on the radio, but it's yeah. Comments. And so that's, that's, I was like, well, why don't, why don't I put my songwriting skills to the test and see if I can like make these like real songs. Um, and people love them. The first one they thought was, was, was great and funny. And then the, like I said, the second one was the one that really 
um, like took off. And I think at that point I was like, oh, this is a thing. This mm-hmm. isn't just because at first it was just me having fun and being goofy and trying to like, I don't know. At that point I'd been doing covers for like maybe 10 years on YouTube. And I was like, I desperately need some other kind of content to mix in here. That's not just an original song every once in a while. And then tons of covers. Cause at that point I was like, Oh, I'm so burnt out on, on covers. So I just wanted something else. It was just funny um, that didn't have to do well. That could just be goofy and weird uh-huh. and silly and like show my personality a little bit too. Cause like when you're just a music creator online, you don't have a lot of opportunities to show your personality. Like, a little bit when you're releasing an original song, you can show that in maybe the music video or like when you're talking about the song. But other than that, like there aren't a lot of opportunities for me to be a personality online. I'm just a voice. Right. And so like, well, the comment songs at the very least show that I have a sense of humor. Like it show, shows my sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, after the first hate comment song did well, it, it actually like flipped a switch in my brain and I love hate comments now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I see a good one. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna save this for my next video. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. totally flipped it on its head. I love yeah. that. And I didn't think like I didn't think about how empowering that would be to like take those comments that over the years or like even like I grew pretty thick skin pretty quickly with the internet because you just these people these people don't know me. I don't know them. Right. They're probably children, most of them, or just like weird people who are just I don't know, unhappy. So you're just like, you just, you just write it off as like, it's a part of the the job. Just receiving. Yeah. They're just an unhappy person. But like, exactly. you know, there's still some that are just not fun to read and right. it can be kind of, you know, depressing when it's like, so, so many comments about like your makeup or your face or your body or whatever it is. Um, and so after writing these songs, like I didn't think about how empowering it would be for me to be like, Oh, well now I actually like, I want you to leave a hate comment, please. Yeah, <laughs> I open yeah it I'll turn it into some content. I'll turn it into a song. <laughs> but the funny part is that actually I've gotten so much less hate on my videos since I've started writing the hate comment videos because now <laughs> nobody wants to leave hate comments because they don't want to be in the songs. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So I'm like, dang, well, I got to gotta find a new audience now. R- right, right, <laughs> right. I do this. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Bringing It Backwards listeners. It is Adam. I wanted to let you all know about this amazing new podcast called Yeah, I Fuck That Up, a weekly interview podcast hosted by Billy Mann. Billy Mann holds many titles. He's a songwriter, entrepreneur, father, philanthropist, and now adding to the resume, podcast host. Throughout his career, Billy has worked alongside some of the biggest names in the entertainment industry. As a listener of Bringing It Backwards, you know that we sit down with artists and have them tell their personal story of how they achieve stardom. With Yeah, I Fucked That Up, Billy Mann sits down with actors, novelists, musicians, CEOs, and they discuss how their biggest achievements are what they're known for, but it's their biggest failures that have made them who they are now. In each episode, Billy will discuss those failures with his guests, again, actors, novelists, musicians, CEOs, to provide a combination of laughter and inspiration from the stories that they share. Billy Mann has already had some amazing guests on the show, like Steven Van Zant of the E Street Band and Kelly Rowland. So check out the podcast. It's called Yeah, I Fucked That Up with Billy Mann. Subscribe to the podcast and you can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Here's a clip from Yeah, I Fucked That Up with Billy Mann and his conversation with Kelly Rowland. I had written a song with you called Love Lives in Strange Places. That was your first solo record. Yes. Stole, right? Yes. And what was that like, that experience being a solo artist? Petrifying. You know this. No, but I mean, <laughs> you were right no, but, there. but how did you manage that? You're a part of this massive, the biggest girl group in the history of music. Yeah. And then you put out a solo record. How did that manifest for you? I mean, at the time, it was like I I had to get it done. You know what I mean? Because everything was moving, you know, from Dilemma. Mm Because Dilemma was like the moving train that wouldn't stop moving. So it's like, all right, time for you to start and finish your solo project. Dilemma came out, and this is your first solo moment. Yes. And it was number one everywhere. It was like number one on Jupiter. It was number one (laughs) 
in every country. But yeah. was it like, okay, my first time out the gate is the biggest number one? I didn't think about it like that. If anything, to be honest, it scared me. You know what I mean? Because I was like doing it without Michelle and B next to me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to fail. I didn't want to fall on my face. And I was just like, well, what do I need to do? What does it need to sound like? What do I need to look like? It was mm. so many questions that I asked myself. I kept thinking of how do I actually make this be great and successful? Mm. What's the hardest no you've ever received? I mean, it wasn't a no, but it was the way Sony let me go. That really did a number on me. I was really fucking pissed so mad that i curse what led up to it you were working on a project like i wasn't working on a project so you're notified no no i saw it on the internet it like it spread like wildfire what did it say it said oh shit it was something like kelly Rowland is no longer a viable artist or something like that and i was like what the does that mean because you had been an artist with Sony for how long? The beginning of my career. Right. 15, 16 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And did anybody from the company call you and say, this is horrible or? I don't remember anyone from the company calling me to say that. Not one person. But I could be wrong because like I said, that time is so fuzzy for me and very much so a trauma space that I still need to do some tapping on. And then do you feel like everybody sort of runs away from the explosion? Yeah, I thought that people wouldn't want to work with me. I thought the industry didn't want to have anything to do with me. And that wasn't the case at all. But it was them. Like, we'd worked together for so long. So it was just like, dang, why would y'all, why were we in things like that? So. Did you feel like, who's going to sign me? Yeah, I definitely felt like I didn't have any value. What about the no from them hurt the most? It was public. You tried to humiliate me and you tried to devalue me. And that did not stick very well. It was probably one of the most hurtful moments of my life, for sure. And why I let it mean so much to me It was all I'd known. They were all I'd known. And shit, I was still signing them as Destiny's Child. You want me to be nice to you? You know what I mean? It was like really, really wrong. Yeah. So I was disappointed in how that all went down. But you got right back up Mm -hmm. and put your elbows up and said, get out of my fucking way. Yeah. Then you have When Love Takes Over with David Guetta, because I heard that song in a taxi in Paris. David played it for me. He was like, Billy, I have this song. And he didn't know that you and I were like really close. And I heard the song. At the time, I was really down myself. And I remember I heard this song and I was like, I'm going to put everything on this. (laughs) Like, because I love David. I loved the song and it was you. And I knew you had just come out of the Sony situation. And I was grappling with my own imposter syndrome. It's like, I'm all of a sudden, I'm the president of a huge company. And I remember just wanting to find something that I was willing to risk my life on. Yeah. And it was your record with David, which was massive. It is one of the biggest hits of your career now. And David's, you then went on and you signed a new deal with Motown. Yeah. And then after Motown and a series of records and features and movies and TV shows and getting married to Tim and motherhood, do you look back at that period and think this was exactly the way it was supposed to be? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm more grateful. I definitely say I'm, I'm, I'm definitely more grateful for all of that that happened because I think that it shaped me into the woman, into the performer, into the wife, into the artist that I needed to be for now. Um, so then you, oh yeah, you were on, uh, you were on what, America's Got Talent as yeah. well? Yeah. Okay. Was that, that was around, like, that was, that was like during the pandemic. 
That was two years. Yeah, kind of during the pandemic, like towards the end of it. So I posted the hate comment video right before the pandemic. And then two years later, I auditioned with it for America's Got Talent because it was just it was one of those videos where like it just wouldn't it just didn't stop. Every uh-huh. time I would post a clip of it, it would go viral any place I would post it. And I was like, I don't know. I think this is something. And then one day randomly, I was at the dog park and five different people came up to me at the dog park who didn't know me. And they're like, I watched your video and I love it. And they were like different ages, different genders, different backgrounds, different careers. And I was like, how did five different people in one time of me going to the dog park recognize me from this video and be like, I loved it. It was so cool. And I was like, maybe this is something that it, like if I auditioned for America's Got Talent, like it would do well. Because if it resonates with that wide range of an audience, yeah. like, maybe, maybe this would be good for, for television. And so that was literally my my only thought. <laughs> <laughs> I had no plan for AGT other than I'm just going to audition with the hate comment song. I think it will do well. <laughs> and you did really well on the show as as well. And you got a yeah. chance to play your own songs, which is cool. I love when uh, artists do that, like if they're on American Idol or something, it's like, yeah, I'm just going to slip in this original because I mean, I would do the same thing if I was a singer songwriter. I think that's you have this, you know, massive platform of people uh, watching. So that's cool. And was that scary at all? Or like, I mean, you're so used to being in front of the camera. No, terrifying. Absolutely stuff, terrifying. But that's Absolutely a different live, live television is like like a totally different thing. But even like the audition was hands down the most terrifying thing I've ever done in my entire life. I actually think I left my body while it was happening and I was just watching myself do it because it's just so it's like surreal to be in front of the judges. And then also there's just there's so much like about produced television that's so unreal as well mm-hmm. where like when i walked out on stage how he was like you i know you you're that girl from tiktok and i was like well not really but like sure <laughs> i'll be that girl i'm like from youtube or like the internet but like yeah tiktok i'm like only kind of <laughs> yeah they're like this is our angle for you on well, the exactly, show <laughs> exactly exactly so you, so you immediately like as you're like as you're going through the show, you it, it kind of feels like being on reality, like specifically this kind of reality television is like there is a script. Mm-hmm. You just don't know what it is. Yeah, You don't know what they're going to say, but there is a script. There's a there is a whole production going on and they tell you your lines, but they do not tell you what lines they're going to say back to you. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then they just edit it up. I mean, it's like what they always show. I mean, I remember watching the real world when I was a kid and, you know, you'd hear them, they go into the confession room or whatever. And it was like, you know, the producers just like, oh, so-and-so is saying something about you, blah, blah, blah. And then they're like, yeah, I hate that. Blah, blah. And then they would just clip that piece. That. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, we, we were able to bait him. We got, you know, we got this out of him. That's exactly what we needed to, you know, kind of navigate the storyline here. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, it's very, it's that, that part of it also is nerve wracking. We're like, I have no idea what you're about to say to me. (laughs) Yeah. Am I going to be the villain? (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, you, I mean, you made it pretty far on that show. I mean, you made it really far, actually. That's really cool. Yeah. And Simon Um, was really cool, which was, which I mean, like, if you're going to impress one of the judges, I would say. Yeah. Simon's the one. (laughs) Yeah. The most brutally honest one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you've got your album coming out. You've released a couple songs for, that are going to make it on the album. What is tattoos and therapy going to be on the album? Cause the track listing I have, that's why I was wondering. Cause I have some, yeah, I have like about so 10 songs, submit, some of them. Yeah. So once you submit a song to like the distribution platform, it, you can't have it on SoundCloud anymore. It's the weirdest thing. So oh. like, we always make like a playlist of whatever our songs are for the album or whatever project we're working on. But then yeah, like once you submit it, you have to take it off of SoundCloud. So then it's just missing from the list of songs. Yeah. That's what I was getting. I was reading about yeah. you and I was reading the, the press and I'm like, am I looking at the right record? And then I, but it had the song that you're the next single. So I was like, okay, this has to be the right playlist, but that makes sense of why yeah. those ones were not on there. I know. And um, it's sad. I think we, we, I think we distributed the album, like it's either today. So that whole playlist is going to be gone. <laughs> so oh, it is. Yeah. I'm glad I got to listen to it. Yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Wow. Um, okay. So tell me about the album. When do you start working on it? So the album has been kind of a work in progress. I knew I was going to like release the album last fall when I was, I was in a writing session 
with one of the writers who's written like a handful of the songs on this album with me. And we were just talking about like aging in the industry as a female. And I was like, oh yeah, ha ha ha. This year I'm turning 30. So I'm basically Hollywood dead. And we were just were laughing about it. And it was a joke. And I was like, wait, but is that like a joke? Cause that's funny. <laughs> this idea <laughs> of age faster in Hollywood. Cause 30 is just like, you're barely have started your adult life. Right. Like no. in your 30s. But then in Hollywood, you're like, like there was a kid on, on my season of AGT that I spent a lot of time with Peter. <laughs> I was like, he's nine. My YouTube channel's older than him. <laughs> I was like, that's so, I'm so old, um, but I'm not. But in Hollywood, you're like, but the, the, the talent just seems to be getting like more talented, younger, less like, it, it's crazy, especially with TikTok. You're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> right. I know. Especially I'm oftentimes the oldest person in the room. And I'm like, how is this, how, how is this possible? I'm not that old. <laughs> you're not. I'm yeah. I'm almost 10 years older than you. And uh, so I'm like 30. That's hopefully that's not old. Yeah, no, but <laughs> I'm knocking on 40. It feels like it. It feels like it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So um, it was anyway. writing about, yeah, that, that was kind of the concept in the beginning. Okay. Like I'm almost 30. Like, you know, I'm aging yeah. out. I'm aging out of Hollywood. <laughs> and then, but then also at the same time, I was like, maybe it's a good thing to be aging out of this idea of Hollywood. And maybe everybody should start aging out of this idea of Hollywood. And I think we're actually seeing it with like artists are getting older and older and making like really amazing music again, older, like especially female artists. Like mm -hmm. I think Casey Musgraves didn't even like, didn't even her like first songs didn't even like really blow up. Like she, she got her Grammys like in her thirties. Right. So it's like, mm -hmm. it's cool to see artists being recognized, especially female artists, like older and older. Cause it's like, there's still so much good content to make. Right. Um, yeah. Age doesn't yeah. matter at all. If you're writing great songs, I mean, that's all that should really matter. You know? Exactly. So I think the industry is, it's getting better, but, <laughs> but yeah. So I, the, the whole concept of the album started with that song. And then I was like, well, what are these other concepts that we buy into in life that are just not real, that are mm -hmm. just Hollywood. And, I, and so I started using Hollywood as like the representation for like any sort of just like little societal lie that you tell yourself. Right. And like, so this album is my journey of self-discovery from the time I came to LA till recently. And it just takes you through this journey of like excitement, being naive, disillusionment, working with some bad people that make you like, that just make you hate this industry and then <laughs> being very angry for a time. Uh, but then coming around to realizing like everything you go, like I've been through in this industry has just made me a better artist, made me a better songwriter. And then I get to like, look back on my, on my last 10 years of making content and, and learning how to write songs and the people I've worked with, the bad deals I've done, the good deals I've done. I get to look back on all of it and be like, whoa, we did a lot. It was really cool. What can we, what can we do now moving forward with mm -hmm. that knowledge, with those skills, with that understanding? Um, and in a sense, like being Hollywood dead just means like letting go of all the expectations that you had. Like I was saying, when I came to LA, I had this plan, like I was going to post videos on YouTube and get discovered and be famous and sign a record deal. And it turns out like signing a record deal would have been the worst thing that I could have done. Like the, my number one favorite thing about being an independent artist is the freedom. I get to do whatever I want, whenever I want, I get to like, there's no timeline. I can, like, if I wanted to like release a song in three days, I could. And like, mm -hmm. I, love that freedom so me having signed with the label would have been just absolutely the most like <laughs> creativity crushing thing I could have done for at least somebody like me who's like very driven like self-driven and like I do a lot of stuff myself and well uh, you built your whole you know your whole thing by yourself I mean what that that's what I always find interesting is like nowadays it's like you what are the it's you have the upper hand where it's like, what can you offer me? Like what I already have this amount of streams, this amount of, you know, YouTube subscribers, blah, blah, blah. You already have the platform, right? Uh, the only thing that they might be able to bring to the table maybe is distribution or whatever, but it's like, well, I'm not going to give up the rights to my songs or my masters. Like, are you crazy? Like I got, I can do this all independently. And then who knows you put a, the whole album together and the, the label's like, yeah, this really isn't what we were we want to do. So we're going to just go ahead and shelf this for six months 
And then you're spending, you know, X millions of dollars trying to fight the lawyers and just try to get your songs back and you can't release anything. I've just heard so many horror stories. I mean, not that all record labels are bad, but being independent and being able to do this on your own, I can't imagine like, yeah, I mean, that must be so amazing. Yeah. There's so much freedom in it. And also like, it's very empowering to just know your, know your industry and, and know what kind of deals a label is going to offer to you and why they're bad and how to make them better. Like, for example, like the doing licensing deals for short periods of time versus like actually signing a whole like three album contract mm-hmm. that they don't know if you'll ever fulfill with them. Right. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And so it's, it's, it's very empowering to like, as an, I think, I think all artists, whether you're with a label or not, you should know your industry. Like you should know what you should be looking for. Cause there, there were even like, even with my label in France, like if I hadn't been looking through the statements, I wouldn't have seen that they weren't paying me for one of the songs. I like, oh. <laughs> like the song that was doing the best. <laughs> you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> I was like, wait, why isn't, like, why are all the songs except for this one, like not on the statement? Cause the statements were in French, right? So I'm going through these things and the only thing I have are just the titles of the song. And I'm like, but there's just one title that's missing. Why is there one title that's missing? <laughs> the one that's making the most money. Of one course. Money, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? So it's like how that knowing, worked out. Yeah. Knowing your industry, knowing your business, like being a person who like looks at everything is really important too. But, I, but I'm like that. But see, like me going, being with label would never have ever made sense. Like I'm so intricately, in, intricately like involved in every aspect of my business. Mm-hmm. That I, I would have just been so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm going to put this out. They're like, no, legally you can't. You're like, well, uh, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Wow. Well, that's awesome. So did you like when you had that kind of moment where like, you know, 30 Hollywood, well, that's the name of the record. I, don't, I, you, I believe you released that information, yeah. right? Hollywood Dead. Um, was, did you write that song in particular? And we're like, okay, this is the, this is the story for, this is the kind of the story I want to tell for the album. Um, c- Kind of. Ho- the, I wrote Hollywood Dead, like kind of in the middle of putting the album together because some of the songs for the album are as old as like maybe four or five years old. So some of them oh, are wow. like when I was first writing songs. I think Serious is the oldest song on the album. I think it's four years old. Oh, that's the most the recent single. The yeah. Recent single. yeah. Yeah. Well, wow. I, was, I was going to release that song right before the pandemic hit and then it hit and I was like, oh, this is not the oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, happy pop. This is song, very serious. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so i was just holding on to that one but um yeah when i was writing hollywood dead it actually the hook of the song is is sampling the melody from beverly hills from weezer and so oh I, okay yeah so i had this i had this idea i was like it'd be so cool because their song is also kind of satirically making fun of Oh like yeah, being Beverly Hills. In LA yeah, or being exactly. poor and broke in LA, but then acting like you're rich. Rich, right? <laughs> so that was cool. <laughs> um, and so yeah, so I so I sampled that melody for the song for the Hollywood Dead, Beverly Hills, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I wrote these verses. The first verse I wrote super fast. I was like, oh my gosh, there's always someone who's idier, bittier, skinnier, prettier, and younger. <laughs> yeah, I love that. An opening <laughs> line. <laughs> Um, and the whole song is just kind of like that. It's just satirical and kind of funny. And um, yeah, yeah, I love your writing style. It's really, really uh, <laughs> unique. Um, the so I listened to the whole or the ten I have, uh, and and I really like. You know, I, I love the record, but the one that really stuck out to me is uh, "Half in Love and Almost Happy." I thought that song was. I was like, Thank damn, you. this is probably my favorite song on the album. Thank you. That's why my, my husband says that too. He's like, this is my favorite song on the album. I mean, it, <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a hit. Well, there are a lot of more hits, but I'm, you know, I'm just saying that that when I listen to it, I'm like, damn, this is, this is definitely the, the standout track to me. Thank you. Thank you. That was a fun one. Was that a newer or a newer? One? Yeah, it was oh, a newer okay. one. So I wrote um, a handful of these songs with, with Sophie Simmons. Oh, really? I've had her on yeah. my podcast before. Yeah, she's so, so talented. She's so oh, yeah. Every time I get a session with Sophie, I'm like, I'm like, cancel everything. Sophie was so <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, she's so incredibly talented and like just one of those writers where, I mean, you, you can be writing with the most talented writers ever, but if you don't click with them, like you just don't have that spark with them. It just, it might not work. But with Sophie, we walked in the room and we're like, wait, 
we think exactly the same way about songwriting. <laughs> I'm like, hmm. Yeah, so we end up, she she actually wrote uh, Doomsday in LA. Um, she wrote Half in Love and Almost Happy. She wrote Dreams Die Hard. I'm trying to think if there's a fourth one, but those might be the three that she wrote for this album, but. Wow. And yeah, she's, I've, I've interviewed other artists that have worked with her, but yeah, when I talked to her, it's so, it's so wild that, you know, her dad is, in kiss yeah. right and what she does <laughs> is so different than <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know as far as like the way she writes and everything um but yeah such a talented talented songwriter um and, and hard worker too like oh yeah oh, such yeah. a hard worker yeah i was gonna say congratulations on uh on on your baby girl coming right thank you yeah uh thank i i did read about you know you've had some a lot of a lot going on when it came to that so yeah, that's so cool. And Congratulations. It's been a journey. It's been a journey. And it yeah. started like it actually started two years ago when so, so so when I auditioned for America's Got Talent and a few days after the audition, I was like in emergency surgery. I had so I, and it turns out I have endometriosis, which is uh-huh. uh, and stage four. So like the worst. And, oh and the doctor was like, this is the worst case of this I have maybe have ever seen in anybody. Um. And so the doctor was basically like, you have two choices, get a hysterectomy or have a baby. <laughs> and I was like, I'll take the oh, baby. Okay. I guess we'll try for the baby. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which led me down like two, like a two year path of like hormone therapy and IVF. And it was just, it's been crazy. Um, but here yeah, we are. A, a friend of mine's wife ha- has that as well. Um, and then she was about to turn 35 when they fully diagnosed her. So then it was like, it was sad you know they're like sorry i think when you get to a certain age i don't think they'll well it's just like the longer it goes unnoticed just the worse it like it basically just creates like scar tissue on all of your organs inside so it can so it can create scar tissue all over your uterus and if that happens it's like well there just isn't a uterus then for you to or it can destroy your 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 eggs it can destroy your fallopian tubes so so for me it destroyed my fallopian tubes so that was why we had to go the ivf route so because i was you know missing some some pieces <laughs> yeah well that's amazing congratulations that's so awesome and then i love the the way you did the gender reveal with the like rockets like <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Sorry, um, would, is your baby due i mean November. Uh, oh wow coming up. i know Oh, wow. So Ooh, Thanksgiving, baby. I know. I'm excited. I'm also excited for her to not be inside of my body anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I love her and I'm like, take all the time you need, take all the space. But <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, I have two kids and it's a it's a it's a change. Um, but that's exciting. That's so cool. Uh, as far as your album will be out and everything, are you just going to do the playing it online. I mean, it must be, it'll be hard to, to yeah, there's, there's get no up on a stage yeah, when you're yeah, we were, either <laughs> still pregnant or just with We baby. had a tentative tour scheduled in case like it didn't work, but it did. And so I was like, well, this is a good reason to, to not tour. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. Well, yeah, probably I, next fall. Probably. Okay. Very, very cool. Well, thank you so much for, for doing this, Madeline. I appreciate your time today. Yeah. Thank you. This was very fun. Um, I have one more question for you Yeah. before I let you go. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Oh my gosh. So much. <laughs> Take all the time you um, need. <laughs> okay. 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 Um, the first, the first thing is your story is important. Your story is important and it's very interesting. And it took me a very long time to believe that my story was interesting, that I didn't have to embellish it, that I didn't have to like dress it up. Like me being a girl who came from Wisconsin to pursue music in LA, like that story is interesting. What you go through, your experiences, your emotions, they're interesting. They're your perspective. And literally only you can have that perspective on it. Um, So you developing your unique perspective as a songwriter, as an artist is so essentially important because you're going to have a lot of people tell you, you should sound like this. You should be this. You should make this kind of music. You should work with this person, but really only you at the end of the day know what speaks to you as an artist. And then with that, once you've developed like what it makes you unique and special as an artist, like 
please know your business. It, it doesn't take a lot of time to begin to learn the different royalty systems, how you collect money. Like just, just learn, <laughs> please. Cause there's so much money. There's, there's literally companies that will collect money off of your music and not, they won't tell you and they won't pay you. If you don't, if you don't go, Hey, hello, pay me. <laughs> um, write you a contract in French. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So just know your business, know your industry, do as much of it yourself that as you can too. Like, like I didn't move to LA until it was absolutely essential. You don't have to live in LA to make great music. Um, you don't have to move to LA to be a content creator. You can make great music and great content where you're at with what you have. So don't feel like you need to buy the most expensive gear, the most expensive cameras, just start with whatever it is you have and start developing your songwriting, your artistry. And then if moving to LA becomes something that's essential, sure, go and do that when you have the money for it. But like, please don't feel like you have to buy the most expensive stuff, move to LA. And that's going to be the answer to you becoming an artist. It's really you developing all the skills and you knowing your industry. And, and like, I think for the longest time, I thought maybe like I need a manager or I need a label or I need X, Y, and Z. I need a publisher. You don't need any of those things. You really don't until you do. Right. And so until you need them, don't go looking for them. Just do everything yourself because then you'll also know how to better hire them because you'll know what job they're doing and you'll know what job you want them to do because you've been doing it.